0: Well, as we come to this subject this evening, Jesus versus sexism, uh, we're aware, aren't we, that it's a sensitive subject. Uh, it's a bit of a hot potato in our society. And I've known people who have left churches over this issue. Uh, I know some people who will have nothing to do with churches uh, because of it. So this evening we're going to try and tread carefully and we're going to define uh, terms because these words get thrown around quite flippantly. So our first question for the evening is what is sexism? I should say, by the way, there will be an opportunity for questions uh, at the end, as there have been with the other uh, items in the series as well. So if you have any questions or you have questions that you think your friends will ask, do uh, keep them in mind as we go through. Uh, but what is sexism? Well, let me tell you first that the definitions of words can be quite difficult, can't they? Uh, I believe for a long period of my life that uh, to drizzle was a word. Um, drizzling was what you did on top of cake uh, with sauce. And uh, drizzle was what rain did. And drizzle was a different word. It was only after I got married uh, that I discovered that it was a different word. And like the best of all debates, uh, it ended with a dictionary. Uh, because that's what you need in situations like this, isn't it? To arbitrate whether drizzle or drizzle uh, is the right word. It's drizzle, by the way, not drizzle. <laughs> but sexism, as it's defined in the Oxford English Dictionary, is this. Prejudice, stereotyping or discrimination typically against women, on the basis of their sex. But I don't know if you notice with that really, the rabbit hole begins, because then you have to start thinking, well, what is prejudice, stereotyping, or discrimination? So here are some definitions of those. Prejudice, preconceived opinion that is not based on reason or actual experience. That's prejudice. Stereotype, a widely held but fixed and oversimplified image of an idea or a particular type of person or thing. And then finally, discrimination, which somehow manages to lift the other language as well, uh, the unjust or prejudicial treatment of several of different categories of people, especially on the grounds of race, age, or sex. So, summing all that up, I'd like to say, really, what it's saying there is that sexism is treating people unjustly based on preconceived ideas of their gender. I'll say that again: sexism is treating people unjustly based on preconceived ideas of their gender. And with that definition, we're going to ask a few different questions this evening. Now that we've defined what sexism is, we're going to ask the question, was Jesus sexist? Was Jesus sexist? And I'd like to argue this evening, no. Jesus does not treat people unjustly based on preconceived ideas of their gender. If you've got any experience of Christianity, you'll know that Jesus... Uh, talks and interacts and helps many different women. Let me just give you a list of some of the women that Jesus uh, talks to and helps in his life. Mary Magdalene, the daughter of Jairus, Peter's mother-in-law, women with period troubles, the the woman at the well, the woman caught in adultery, the Syrophoenician woman, Mary and Martha, Mary his mother, James and John's mother, that's just a short list that was just off the, off the top of my head as I started thinking of the different women that Jesus talks to. And bearing in mind the culture of Jesus' day, this is astonishing. That Jesus would treat these women with respect. That Jesus would talk to them and help them. In Jesus' culture, men were taught to pray this prayer every morning. This is what they were to pray. Blessed are you, O God, King of the universe, who has not made me a Gentile, a slave or a woman. That was the culture that Jesus was in. But Jesus treats these women with respect. And you'll notice as well that not all these women are cast as victims. That would be the other way around, wouldn't it? If all the people that Jesus helped in the Gospel were women, then we think that, well, the Gospels are saying that women are weak. But Jesus helps men and women. And some of these women actually are strong characters in the Gospel. On top of that, Jesus doesn't just talk to women. Jesus has women disciples. Mary Magdalene. Uh, Mary, the mother of James, Mary and Martha, and many other women were told, follow Jesus. It's not so obvious because there are so many Marys. So you have to sort of work out how many you, you want in your list. But there are quite a lot of them, aren't there? And at the cross, it's the women who don't desert Jesus in the same way that his disciples do. So Mark 15, verse 40, I'll read it to you. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, the younger and of Joseph's, And Salome, when he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. So it's often overlooked that actually among Jesus' disciples were a large number of women. Actually, they were with him as well, and they stayed with him, watched for a distance at the cross. If you think about it, the resurrected Jesus appears to women before he appears to men. Jesus appears to them, even though it was a time when a woman's testimony could be overturned by a man's testimony, because men were considered more reliable. In fact, any number of women's testimony could be overturned by one man's testimony against them. So by the standards of Jesus' day, it would be quite ridiculous to turn uh, up to women first, to reveal yourself to them, unless unless Jesus really valued women as equals. So I want to say that no, Jesus was not sexist. But I don't think that's really what a lot of people argue, is it? Jesus doesn't normally get bad press in this way of being a a sexist person. Well what about the rest of the Bible? Is the Bible sexist? And again, based on our definition, I'd want to say no. No in the Old Testament. Now, the Old Testament, you often get it quoted, don't you? We're going to look at one of those famous quotes next week that gets quoted about the Old Testament. But it's put in as though it's barbaric, it's put in as though Uh, it's stupid and you couldn't possibly believe that would be a way to treat people. The objections that people give to the Old Testament are things like women are treated as property. But if you read through the Old Testament, you see that that's not true. Women were given property rights. Uh, So where there was uh, inheritance cases, women sometimes were given an inheritance. If you think about it, enshrined in the law, dishonouring your mother or father was equally punishable. It didn't matter whether it was your Uh, father or your mother who you insulted, you were still liable, weren't you? And the penalties in the Bible were the same for men and women, for the same crimes. So actually, women there are being treated on an equal level, even within the law of God. Now, it's true in the Bible that women are excluded from the temple during their periods, uh, and also when they've uh, had childbirth as well. But it's interesting to note that men are excluded from the temple as well, uh, for their emissions, probably a, a reference really to what we'd call wet dreams. Actually, although they are a bit weird to talk about, it's equal treatment. It's not that women are being singled out, even though that's the only one you hear quoted. Actually, men could have issues where they weren't allowed in that were on a similar lines uh, to the women. Now, how they enforced it might have been another matter. It might be that uh, those things weren't enforced in the same way, but the text itself is actually equal. It, it's allowing for both uh, genders to have Uh, complications like that. It's also quoted sometimes that women's slaves were sold for less. And that's true. There is a a section in the Bible where male slaves are 50 shekels, uh, women's slaves are 30 shekels. But bearing in mind what slaves were used for, they were used for manual labour. Recognising that there's a difference in the abilities of a male slave to perform perform manual labour and a female slave to perform perform manual labour I want to argue, really, is no different from the Olympics, where you have separate events for men and women because we are biologically different. <clears throat> Interesting, the price that was paid for Jesus was thirty pieces of shekel. Uh, thirty shekel, um, thirty pieces of silver, <laughs> thirty shekels. Yeah, that's right. Um, which is the price of a slave, or the price of recompense of a male slave? But He associates himself with the oppressed, though. So it's a lower price that he's paid. There's also the objection that there are no women rulers. Well, there's Deborah, though that's disputed. There's Esther as well, though, isn't there, who's a queen uh, and is able to do amazing things. And there are strong female characters as you read through the Bible. Naomi, Ruth, Jezebel, Rahab, Abigail. Now, they're not all positive, not Jezebel especially, but they're not pushovers. It's not buying into the stereotype of women. So actually, we see these strong female characters all the way through Scripture, all the way through the Old Testament. So I want to argue that although we'll probably have more issues with the Old Testament, that it's not a sexist uh, sexist text. So what about the New Testament, apart from uh, Jesus? What about the New Testament letters? Well, again, I'd like to say no. It's not sexist. You can see that partly from the, uh, the list of names that Judith read to us. Of that list of 28 names, 10 of those names are women. Women who had worked closely with Paul. Women who Paul respected and treated as fellow workers. One even says is like his own mother. Women who had prominent roles in the early church. Paul even put one woman's name before her husband's name, which was just not done at the time. Now, Paul often gets quoted as a misogynist, as as a hater of women. But that text just doesn't read like that at all, does it? He has great respect for these women. So I want to argue that the New Testament does not teach sexism. What the New Testament teaches is complementarianism. So that's on to our next question. What is complementarianism? I had to split it over two lines. It's nothing to do with being nice to people who don't hold uh, Jesus as God. Complementarianism. (laughs) It worked better in my head. But uh, complementarianism is the idea that the two sexes complement each other. That men and women are equal, but are different. And this is what the Bible teaches. And not just that that has to be the case, but that's actually good. That the world is a better place because we're not all the same. We are different and we should embrace those differences. Let me give you an illustration. One of my uh, favourite foods is Ben and Jerry's uh, half-baked cookie dough ice cream. Has anyone ever had any of that? Some, some nodding, some going, oh, no. half!" Oh it's, oh, it's really, really, you really ought to try it if it's on special. Only when it's on special offer. Um, but it's, it's good. But I think what makes it really good, you see, the ice cream in it is good. And the half-baked cookie dough is good. You could probably eat either <coughs> of those. But together, they're even better. That's really what makes the food. If the cookie dough was ice cream, or the ice cream was cookie dough, then it wouldn't be as good. It would be nice, but not as good. It's the difference that makes it good. It's the putting of the two together that really makes that and why I enjoy it so much. And that's really what the Bible teaches by complementarianism, that actually the world is better because it's like this. It's not something that we have to grudgingly accept, it's that actually that's what we're designed to be. But society's view of men and women in the last few decades has veered towards something else called egalitarianism. Now, egalitarianism, it's, it's the idea of equalism, if you like. That's what it would mean in French. And it sounds good, the idea of everyone being equal. I mean, we all agree everybody should be equal. But it effectively teaches that there should be no difference between the sexes. Men and women should not just be treated equally and be treated the same, but men and women should be the same. But really, you can't be equal unless you do the same things, unless you have the same roles, unless you are each other. So the fruit of that has been a great confusion surrounding gender, because if that's true, if we're both to be the same, then what does it mean to be male? What does it mean to be female? And if both are and everything are the same thing, then it's going to get very confusing, isn't it? But the Bible teaches that there are two genders, male and female, that they're different, but entirely equal. There is confusion about roles and things like that because we live in a fallen world. But male and female are designed to complement each other. And the different genders have different roles. And I want to say that these roles are biblically imposed, not imposed by the society. What I mean by that is that when we say that they're different, we're not to read into that the historic stereotypes of what it means to be a man or a woman. To believe that men and women are complementary doesn't mean to say that a woman's place is in the kitchen. Equally, it doesn't mean to say that a man's place is to be the main breadwinner. Actually, we need to look at what the Bible says about what it means to be male, what the Bible says about what it means to be female, and not just assume that it's going back to what people thought in the 1950s. Now, in our society, the view of complementarianism is controversial. There are two big points of tension which I want to address uh, under this. The first tension is the idea of teaching and leading, and the second idea is submission. So teaching and leading. Uh, Judith read out to us that passage from 1 Timothy, uh, and we saw that there women are uh, forbidden to teach. Uh, But it's not forbidden to teach full stop, it's that women are not to teach men in church. That's really what 1 Timothy is showing us. Now, I presume from that that women are able to teach, because otherwise there would be no point in actually saying that they can't do it. As in physically able to teach. It's not saying that they are deficient some way in teaching. We can also presume from that that women are able to teach other women and children of both genders, but not men. And the reasons given in 1 Timothy, if you look, are theological. They're not cultural. So he goes back to Adam and Eve, doesn't he? Uh, There in 1 Timothy 2, uh, verse 13. For Eve was formed first, sorry, for Adam was formed first. (laughs) Confusion of the genders. But Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. So do you see that actually it's linked back to creation. It's linked back to the way things are made. It's not linked to, it's just not acceptable in our society. And like I say, it's not due to the woman's inability to teach. If women were unable to physically teach, if they were no good at it, there'd be no point in forbidding it. It's that a woman is not to be in a teaching role over a man. And if you think back to Genesis, that's where it all went wrong, isn't it? The woman taught the man. The woman started telling the man what to do, what was right, what was wrong. And chaos ensued. Equally part of the problem, though, was that man didn't seem to teach the woman very well either. He didn't take his part of his responsibilities right as well so he bears the blame too so teaching actually there for for the whole congregation for a congregation of men and women is there restricted to men with leading a church well the same passage uh, if you carry on goes on to explain what the qualifications of being a leader of a church is one of the qualifications of an elder is being able to teach that's how elders lead in a way But that's just what women have been told to refrain from doing. So again, it's not saying that women are not capable leaders. But in a church context, it's saying that it's not appropriate. So it's not a prohibition on female prime ministers. It's not a prohibition on female college lecturers or policemen. The context here is the church. So that's the first sort of area, teaching and leading. And the second area that's a bit of a tension point is submission. The Bible teaches in various different places that a wife is to submit to her husband. Now, we've talked a lot about this in in other places, so I won't go into too much detail. But it's clear there that a wife is to submit to her own husband. She, within her own conscience, is to choose what her husband wants and not undermine him. She is to accept his leadership of the family. But I say free or free to ask uh, questions on that because we've covered it in other places, but I don't want to go over ground that we've done quite recently. But that's what we're talking about, really. Those are the points of tension with our society. Now, in each case, I want to think through, are those restrictions just placed on women? Is it just that women are being picked on in those particular areas? And I want to say no. I don't think that women are being singled out. So let's think about (laughs) teaching uh, for a second. So women are not to teach mixed groups uh, of men and women. But there are also an argument as well that actually male ministers are restricted in what they should do as well. In the book of Titus, uh, we won't turn to it exactly, but if you have a look through in your own time, we see there that Titus is told to teach older men, older women and younger men. You notice the missing category. Younger women are missed out. And I take this to be a principle taught in scripture that men should not teach younger women in a personal context. I think that's really what it's talking about. Uh, it would not be appropriate for me to uh, meet up with younger women at church to read the Bible with them just one-to-one. That wouldn't be really appropriate for me uh, as a younger man. Now, am I capable of doing that? Could I meet up with younger women? Yes, I could. I, you know, I can teach the Bible. Could I do a good job at it? Well, I hope so. Is it just stereotyping men as unable to control themselves with younger women? No, I don't think it is. I think he's making a wise judgment. So actually there are restrictions placed on men for their teaching as well. Because of the way that we are, because of the way that we're built. So men can teach from the front. Obviously women, it's not saying that you know, younger women you have to leave. <laughs> um, but it's saying that there are certain avenues of ministry that are close to men as well as to women. On the leading side, well, men who are unable to teach are not allowed to lead either. It's not as though incompetent men are are given a role over competent women in that sense. Incompetent men, men who are unable to teach are disqualified. So men who cannot teach are not able to lead. What about submission? Well, wives are told to submit to their husbands, but husbands are told to love their wives. Now when it says love there, it's not talking about airy, fairy, dairy, milk love. It says as Christ loved the church. Love that lays down its life daily for the other person. And even if their wife doesn't submit. Now you might want to say that, well, is that an uh, equal balance or not? I think it's fairly equal. A woman is to submit and a man is to sacrifice daily. They're different, but I would say that they're equal responsibilities. So that's what complementarianism is. And then, what is not complementarianism? So, I just think it's worth always making your no as well as your yes. So, complementarianism is not going along with bigots who say that women are inferior. Too often, I think, in the past, the church has sided with people who end up with the same conclusions for entirely different reasons. So, for example, an idiot might say, "'Women shouldn't be in the pulpit because they're all stupid.'" A Christian would say, women shouldn't be in the pulpit because the Bible forbids it, even if they're more than able. Do you see there that the conclusion is the same, but the reason is is entirely different. And I think too often we end up working with people whose conclusions are the same, even though their reasoning is ridiculous. And the problem with that is that often we get lumped in with those people. So we need to be careful as a church to critique the idiots as much of the people who disagree with our conclusions we don't want to go along with bigots so complementarianism is not going along with those people complementarianism is not oppression of women the bible does not teach that the women all women should be subject to all men it teaches the voluntary submission of wives to their husbands it doesn't say that men should make their wives submit do you notice that as we read through? It says, husbands love your wives. Wives submit to your husbands. It's not, wives submit to your husbands. Husbands make your wives submit. It is not enforceable by the man. It is the woman who voluntarily submits. It is not the oppression of women. Neither is complementarianism. <laughs> Try getting math right. Complementarianism is not sexism light. It's not a halfway house, as though Christians, well, we'd really like to be sexist, but we'll sort of meet you halfway. That's not what we're talking about. It's another animal altogether. So that's what complementarianism is not. But really, probably the biggest question we need to ask is, is the church sexist? We've gone through all those different things. Is the Bible is Jesus? But is the church sexist? And I want to answer undoubtedly yes. Yes. The church is sexist, but so is the National Trust, so is the government, so is business, so is education, so is golf, so is football, so is the film industry, so is the toy industry. I could go on. Why are they sexist? Because they're full of human beings. That's why they're sexist, and as human beings we're sinners. We fall short. The question really should be, should the church be sexist? And the answer to that should be never. But that does not mean that the church should expect everyone to be identical. It does not mean that the church needs to uh, uh, not cater for... It does mean that the church should cater for different needs that people have. Uh, as their uh, gender differs. It does not mean that men and women should be treated... Uh, I've got these all the way wrong way round. This is all the sexist comments. <laughs> <laughs> it does mean... That men and women should be treated with equal respect and dignity. It does mean that we should not tolerate snide comments and text casual sexism. It does mean that of all places that women go to, that men go to in their life, church should be a safe place for them in that regard. That they'll not face ridicule or abuse because of their gender or any other factor. <clears throat> How do we do that? Well, we take Jesus' command to love one another seriously, don't we? We sang that earlier on. We seek to love the other person as a man, as a woman. We seek to see their specific needs and help them, not look down on them or hurt them.